Well, let's just jump into Mark today. We're in Mark 9, and we are dealing with the area of greatness. And so we're just going to read our text to start our time together. It's in your bulletin. It's on the screen. Please read along with me. Mark 9, verse 33 through 41. And this is talking about the disciples and Jesus. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. When I was a sophomore in college, one of my buddies, Phil, he invited me to, uh, Phil's the same guy that thought lint came out of his belly button, if you were to, just a weird guy. So he, he invited me, um, he invited me to join him to meet one of his mentors, a, 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 an adult volunteer that volunteered for an organization called Young Life when he was in high school. And look, I didn't have a whole lot going on in college, so I was already going to go to this thing. But my friend said, hey, he's a professional baseball player. And hello, where are we going? I'm okay. My eagerness went from four to ten. All right. And so I, I was just creating all new stories in my head. He was home for the off season. And so maybe you're like this. Maybe you're kind of like me. So here's a guy. He's a triple-A baseball player, one step away from the major leagues with the Baltimore Orioles. And I think if this guy just gets to know me, right, we're going to be friends. And being friends, I'm going to be able to be entering into baseball territory that I've never entered in my life. He's going to invite me to go to games. I'm going to have tickets to all the seats, uh, the, the, the stadiums across the Midwest. This is, I'm going to go inside information about baseball. He's just going to love me, and we're going to get along together, and this is going to be a good ride for me. Eh, I mean, it, yes, we're friends. Uh, but I thought just by association that maybe someday he was going to be my golden ticket to the Major League Baseball that I could meet the Cubs maybe someday. He didn't make the majors. Uh, he actually went into scrap metal. Uh, I don't, there's not a whole lot of benefit in me knowing somebody in scrap metal, uh, but maybe there is. But we're, we're, we are friends. His name is John. He's a good guy. It didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to do. My association with this guy was going to take me to new places. Uh, didn't, didn't go the way that I thought. I, I like to think that this is what's happening in this passage with the disciples. We don't know which ones are arguing. We, we just know that there are a few of them that are arguing about being great. And, and being great is predicated by them knowing Jesus. They are sizing each other up in their greatness because of their association with Jesus. And my mind gets intrigued with the conversation that happens. What's this discussion that's going on? I can see one of them saying, hey, like, how many, breath, uh, how many baskets of bread did you pick up after the miracles? Because I got six. I had six baskets. You didn't. I can see one of them saying, like, hey, when's the last time you picked up a roar and, and, and rode the Savior across the Sea of Galilee? Or I can see, like, somebody like Peter, Peter, just knowing Peter, he could stand up and say, hey, just a quick raise of hands here. Who has walked on water? Anybody? Okay, just me. Okay, let's remember that when we're thinking of greatness here. 
These guys cannot get their brains away from the fact, even though Christ has specifically taught opposite, that Jesus is going to come and establish this worldly kingdom. The Jewish people were hoping for this Messiah that was going to create this great kingdom where they're going to be on earth, great, out of oppression. So these men are arguing about greatness in a worldly kingdom. They're thinking about worldly property being divided up, worldly titles being divided up, and they are just anticipating what it's going to be like to be with Jesus and get all these things. You note that these guys are pretty embarrassed that Jesus knows their thoughts. Probably it's truthful that they should be embarrassed about arguing about greatness. We know that they're embarrassed because they are silent, and we read that in Scripture. Now, it's not particularly important to know exactly what they're discussing, but I do think it's very valuable and something to notice in the way that Jesus responds to them. Notice that Jesus, he asks them a question. He asks them a question. That's the way that he engages here. What were you discussing on the way? He didn't make a statement. Note this. I mean, he's the son of God. This is all, I mean, stupidity to be arguing over this stuff. He doesn't condemn them. But he engages in a question with his disciples. And this tends to be a major way in which Jesus teaches his people. We have read in our time in Mark about some really good personal questions that Jesus has asked to his followers and to the crowds. Like, he's asked them, like, do you not understand yet? What do people say about me? What do you say about me? How is it that you don't have faith yet? Jesus really good at asking questions. And so I think, why? Why does he ask so many questions? Well, what do we know about questions? We know that they engage one person's brains. They bring them into a discussion. The one that is asking you is asking you to consider, to think about something, to formulate an answer in your head, to have a response, to have you think. Jesus is consistently trying to engage people's brains and bring them in to challenge the way that they think. He's always challenging the way that they think. Questions bring ownership. They bring inclusion into a process. And so look, we've talked about this a lot, that Jesus is more concerned about who you are than what you do. Because who you are informs everything that you do. It doesn't work the other way. It shouldn't work the other way, and it's not the way the kingdom of God works. And so what we know is Jesus wants to challenge the way that we think to help us to change who we are. And this is, an, this is a kind of a principle that we see throughout the Word of God, transforming our mind. The Spirit is always wanting to regenerate new perspectives in our life. Paul writes this in Romans 12. He says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Often I like to to read scripture in multiple different versions. And I really like how the NLT kind of brings some new life to this. This is what it says in the NLT translation. It says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for, for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so 
in any situation that we get into. The only thing that we really can control is our own perspective, the way that we think. You can't walk into situations, you can't control other people, you don't have control of the narrative, but what you do have control and what you do have choice on is how you see it, how you see it. And so listen, we see a principle with Jesus that he's challenging his perspectives with his disciples and he does the same thing for us. Jesus provokes us to change our perspective in order to change our life. He wants to renew our lives and our minds so we can have a different life. Proverbs 4, we talked about this in this series. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And in Scripture, the heart is not this physical beating element in your heart. It is a metaphor for your emotional, intellectual, moral center. And the word says that we should be diligent, vigilant, and guarding that heart because from it, your life comes from it. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Pharisees. And and Jesus says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what he is saying is like, don't accept into your heart, into your life, into that inner self, the things that are same, because those thoughts are like yeast, leaven. And just a little bit of those will work its way through the dough, through your heart, and it will change the way that you view life. And so we are to guard our hearts, guard what we accept to be true, guard what we believe, test it against the Word of God, because it's so important that we control our thoughts. The Word says to capture every thought and bring it into submission to Christ, to make it obedient to Christ. So this is just a guiding principle that we see in Scripture. Jesus wants to change our perspectives. Many of you grew up accepting and believing things about yourself that you let as yeast grow into your life. Maybe you accepted somebody calling you ugly and it changed your life. Maybe you accepted somebody calling you worthless. Maybe you accepted somebody calling you stupid. And all of those principles, all of those thoughts have manifested themselves into the way that you live life. Maybe you have accepted things like you're special. You're better than others. You're smarter than others. And it's no doubt that those things have manifested itself out in how you do life, how your life is shaped But listen, in all cases, your your thoughts will control your life. Your perspective will control your life. It will. And so what I want you to notice about Jesus in these disciples and in the stories that we've walked through in Mark is that Jesus is more concerned about changing your perspective than he is about changing your circumstances. That's always going to be his priority, to change your perspective rather than change your circumstances because a new perspective brings new circumstances. And so no doubt we could spend lots of time today tracking down all the right and wrong thoughts that you have chose to accept in your life that have created all sorts of realities, but that's not what the Word wants to press on us today. I would say to you, friends, The best practice that you can have to have right thinking is to get in the Word of God, to make that a daily habit 
of reading what God says to be true. And when you read the word, please do me a favor, don't read the word where you put yourself at the center of it. This is not your survival guide for life. Put God in the center of Scripture. Scripture is there so you can learn right thinking about who God is, because right thinking about who God is creates right thinking about who you are. Learn about who God is in Scripture, and it will inform your perspectives all across the board. But in this passage in Mark, we see Jesus deliberately challenging his disciples to consider a new perspective on what greatness is. Jesus wants us to consider that as well. What greatness is. It says that Jesus sat down, and I think that that's something worthy to talk about here in a second, and he says that if anyone wants to be first, they must, they must be last of all, a servant of all. Let me repeat that. If anyone wants to be first, they must be last of all a servant of all. That's different than what this world says. And the fact that Jesus is sitting here is something that I want you to notice because Jesus literally, he is walking to the cross. He is walking to be crushed for our sins. And in this moment, he takes a stop to sit, which is the formal teaching position as a rabbi would know. This is a formal teaching position to say, hey, look, I want to change your thoughts on this because what you're thinking is wrong. I want you to reconsider what you think in this area of greatness. In this time, in this place, in this region, greatness would have been something that everyone aspired to be. They, everybody wanted status. They wanted title, even more so than today because there was such a difference in the quality of life that you had based upon your class and your status. And so people are desperate for a name. They're desperate to be a part of something that, that makes them greater. And Jesus knows this. And so he says, look, that's not what I have for you. In my kingdom, it's going to be about you serving people. In that world, your greatness was defined by how many people served you and took care of your needs. But he says, that's not what I have for you. I want to make you servants to the world. Servants to other people. And so I, you've got to see, Jesus is flipping everything on its head that we know to be true in this world. He is flipping everything upside down. And that's why people say Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kingdom, because it, it just differentiates from the values that we have in this world. Jesus has taught his disciples that power is not defined by strength or the sword, but rather by self-denial and death. That identity is not informed by birthright or doing, but rather through faith in God, your creator. And he is saying right here that greatness is no longer defined by winning or title or status, but rather through losing and serving Everything has changed since Jesus has come. Everything has changed in his kingdom. And so, has it affected you? Has it changed you? His values, his ways, has it changed you? 
Do you uphold his kingdom as your priority, as your perspective? Have you been affected by this upside-down kingdom? Or do you hear things about greatness being defined by, by, by losing and serving and think that's a pile of rubbish? Do you have an attitude like the poem that we read in Victus, that I am the master of my faith, I am the captain of my own soul? And so here's what I'm asking today from my heart. Could you, would you, for a moment in your life, would you consider that maybe it's entirely possible that everything that you've ever thought on what it means to be great, that it might be wrong? That your aim for status and accomplishment and money is misplaced when we understand what Jesus has asked us to be in his kingdom? Would you consider that in this moment you could be wrong and let the word of God speak to your heart? Today, we tout greatness as if it were something to hope in, something to be accomplished along the way. That some way, some day, at some place, we are going to be great again. That is the language in our political atmosphere, that we are going to make things great again. I'm not trying to be political, but let's just talk about what we value in culture, what we raise up in the area of greatness. We think that being great again is somewhere down the line. And the ideas that surround being great again deal with dominance and power and money and status. And maybe those things belong in the government. Maybe they belong in the political sphere. But they do not jive with the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to be political, but I have great concern and great reverence for the word of God that it would press on my heart and it would press on your heart that it would change my perspective and it would change your perspective. I have great fear and concern that we are not letting God lead in, in this area. I have great concern that we're not following in his way in this area. And so we let his truth speak to us today. Listen, we are a citizen of heaven first. We belong to Jesus. We are bought you're owned. You were purchased through the blood of Christ. You are a citizen of heaven first and a citizen of the earth last. Choose what matters first. And what Jesus is trying to change in us is to understand that, that success is not defined by winning, but through losing. Jesus says that success, greatness, isn't defined by winning, but through losing. I was talking about this piece of scripture with one of our elders, Joel Draper, this week, and, and he just said something to me that I just thought that, that hits it. He says, think about the greatness of Jesus. Think about the, his greatness and how far it exceeds our own. Jesus spoke and the world came into being. He spoke and the winds and the waves and the storm died, died down. He knows all. He is all. He is everywhere. But yet, he channeled all of that greatness and all of that power into the heart of a servant. Anything that we would want to accomplish on this earth is far less than anything Jesus could ever accomplish, and that would be cumulative in your life. 
you will never accomplish the kind of things that Jesus had and did. And he channeled all of that greatness and all of that power into the heart of a servant. A life that was willing to lose it all for others. I mean, is that not phenomenal? Does that not melt your heart? Does that not just edify Jesus, speak to you? And he's asking us, are we willing to do the same thing? Jesus is asking to redefine our minds on what greatness is. Greatness as a servant of all. And so what does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be a servant? Well, let's talk about four things that we notice with Jesus, four things that he displays for us and, and ask of us. And the very first one is, is the place to start. A servant submits to God's upside-down kingdom of heaven. He, he, he Upside-down kingdom of losing. The very first thing that we must be willing to do is to commit, submit to King Jesus in his teachings. A way that he so thoroughly demonstrated in his time on earth. That is what greatness is. Submitting, losing, serving. And so look, as, as gently and as lovingly and as respectful as I can say this, if that perspective of greatness, if that definition of greatness it is something that you don't think too much of, it seems to be too much for you, then it most likely is revealing a heart that has never yet really understood how radically and deeply your needs were served by Christ. None of us are here today because we could have elevated ourselves into a position of having a relationship with God. None of us are here today because by effort we earned right standing with God. We are here today by the grace of God. We are here for him and because of him. Not because of ourselves. Only because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. A cross where he died for your sin. He absorbed your punishment and wrath. That's how bad it is for you. That's how bad it was for us. That we needed somebody to intervene with God because we had a wrath that was coming to us. A judgment that was coming to us. Christ served us to the point of death on a cross. And if you understand that in your heart, you will have a hard time ever being proud because you realize what a debtor you are to God's grace and mercy. Being a Christian isn't just trimming off a little of this and, and shaping this moral here and there. It's not about realignment it's not about looking virtuous or appearing better than the other guy. Becoming a Christian is about confessing that you acted against God. So much so that you deserved his judgment and wrath. A judgment and wrath that he poured onto his son, crushing him for your stuff. And in that confession, we surrender to the servant king Christ. We surrender to him. And he has a desire to kill not just parts of you, but the whole darn thing. He wants to kill your entire flesh 
your entire heart. And he wants to speak new perspective and give you new life. He wants to take the old and give you newness in him. That's what Christ wants for us. We had a debt that we could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Mark, two chapters later, says that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. Do you realize how deeply you have been served by Christ? How abundantly you have been served by him. And for those of us this morning who, who realized our need to be served, how stirring are the words of Christ? To be last, not first. To be a servant of all. What a, a goal for us to have in life. To be a universal servant. To not think of people as, as means to my ends. How are you going to serve me? But to look at people and say, you're worth everything that I have to serve you, not to serve myself. That Lord, if I could just have one more person to serve for you, that's what I want. And so we have to submit to his perspective, his way. A second thing that we see about a servant is a servant seeks to lose as a conqueror, not as a victim. I think if you would look at Christ and you didn't know the plan that Jesus had on earth, you would think that Jesus was some sort of product of and victim of some oppressive religious system. I mean, everywhere that Jesus went, he was despised. Everywhere that Jesus went, they slandered about him. He was tortured. He was killed as an innocent man. If you didn't know his plan, you might think he was a victim, but we know his plan. Christ allowed himself to suffer. Christ allowed himself to be slandered. Christ allowed himself to deny and be denied because he wanted something different. When he died and he rose, he rose as a conqueror because he killed death and sin in our life and all of those who believe by faith in Jesus Christ. He is a conqueror, and we by faith join him as conquerors through his death. And because Jesus has done for us what we could not, it is in him that every need that we have is met. Not just met, thoroughly met. In Christ. In Scripture, it says that God will supply every need according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. And so you can be a conqueror because your needs are so thoroughly met in Jesus. All you need to be loved and to be accepted and to be known is it's taken. Christ has that. Thoroughly filled those things. And so you get to be a conqueror that says, I'm going to serve people because of Christ. I'm going to choose to forgive people even though they haven't asked for it and they probably don't deserve it. I'm going to choose to seek justice even though it's hard in this situation. I'm going to choose to put others in front of myself even though I have selfish tendencies. I'm going to serve and give back even if people don't pay me back. You're a conqueror. You're not a victim. You get to serve. And you don't have to serve because you're, re you're repaying a debt because of Christ's death on the cross, you get to serve and you want to serve because he's already paid that debt. 
He's already fulfilled it. He's empowered you and loved you so thoroughly that you need nothing else on this world. And so you can humbly surrender your life to his way. The third thing is, is a servant sacrifices personal fulfillment for gospel glory. Jesus at any moment could have called a legion of angels down and he could have shooken the whole foundations of the world. He could have crushed his tormentors. He could have had a miraculous sign that shook people and made them tremble in their boots, but he did not. He chose to let down any aspirations that he had for personal fulfillment and satisfaction for the cause of reconciliation in us, for the cause of peace between man and God. He laid everything aside that would be a personal fulfillment for him to bring future glory to God. And so listen, there is no doubt that God has created you individually, uniquely, uniquely, brilliantly, with, with great gifts, great talents, great tools. He did not ask you to use those gifts and skills and talents to make better kingdoms for yourself. He did not ask you to use those as a self-fulfilling way, in a self-fulfilling way. He is asking you to deny yourself, to lose, to serve, and to use the gifts and use your talents and use your skills to make his kingdom greater and your kingdom less. Greatness in this world, in Christ, will always cost you. There's no way around it. Greatness stems from personal loss and personal cost for the sake of Christ because you're ambassadors. Christ said that you're his ambassadors. You represent him. And if his way was hard, if his way was through denial, if his way was through servanthood, what do you think he's asking for us as his ambassadors? To show his love, his kindness, and his humility. And the last thing is that a servant sees value in those whom are readily rejected. In the last half of this scripture, Jesus takes a child and he puts him in the midst of and then he takes that child and he sits him on his lap. He says, if anybody receives one like this, they receive me. Not just me, but the one who sent me. And we look at that and we think, oh, how beautiful. The picture of this innocent child and the compassion that Christ has for him. But I want you to understand something a little bit different about children in this culture in that day. You know, we have a fondness to children. The joy of children. But in this culture, children were one step above slaves. They did not have value. They did not have worth. They couldn't provide for themselves. And here Jesus takes this child and he puts him in their midst and he embraces him. And to us he says this, in that action, that we must be readily willing to accept and take on and care for those in which culture devalues, who don't have voices, who can't provide for themselves, that we are to receive and care for those kind of people, that we would see them as valuable the way that Christ sees them. Because when we see them and care for them, it is if we are caring for the very Savior himself. So these are what we see as attributes of a servant. There probably are lots more, but these are what we notice. A servant submits to God's upside-down kingdom of losing. A servant seeks to lose as a conqueror, not as a victim. You're a conqueror in Christ. A servant sacrifices personal fulfillment for gospel glory. A servant sees value in those whom are readily rejected. 
So I think today Jesus is asking us to maybe challenge our perspective. He invites us to reconsider what it means to be great. A greatness that is led through, not through winning or power, but through denial and servanthood. And so today, if, if this is challenging your perspective, if you sense the Lord is tugging at your heart, maybe for the first time you have realized how great and deep and radically Christ has served you, don't leave here today without talking to somebody. Don't leave it here today without talking to somebody who brought you or, or our prayer team up here or, or me. You can find me in the hallway. Don't leave here today without wondering and figuring out what it means to be a Christian but maybe you're in here today and you need to change your perspective. Maybe you are sensing God pushing through his spirit on your heart to radically change what you believe to be true of this world. And so that's you. We invite you to change your perspective with us, to help come around God and his people by serving in his local church. This is a local body of believers who are here to care for one another, encourage one another, to keep each other walking down the way, to serve one another. And so we invite you to serve with us. You know, it is said in studies that church people build habits within the first three months that they attend service. And so maybe you've just got into a habit where you don't serve people. You don't serve the church. I'm saying there's no better time to hear the words, serve it, change your perspective today. And so maybe you need to talk to a pastor here, a staff member, and say, how can we serve you? How can we come around you today? How can I help here? But don't ignore the call of Jesus to change the way that we see greatness for the sake of Christ. If we want greatness, we have to remember that the greatest of all, who has more immense power than we ever have had, channeled everything that he had in the form of a servant. And ultimately, he calls us all to do something that we have power to do whether that's hold a child or visit a widow or care for the downtrodden, to listen to the brokenhearted, to sacrifice for our families and God's people, to give of our time and our talents and our treasures to his church and to his people. That is what it means to be great. That is what it means to be counted amongst the first. That is what greatness is in the kingdom of God. And he wants to change our perspective. So today we invite you to reflect as we spend a time worshiping our Savior, we invite you, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to pray over you, if you just have something going on in your life, maybe you need Jesus to speak to you. Join us up here. We have our prayer team up here to pray for you. But let's stand and let's worship our King today.